Driscoll grinned. Vince, this is the first trip I've taken in four, no, five years. Mostly I navigate paper across my desk now. I've done all right for myself, I guess, and for Anne. I'm glad she wasn't upset by your taking off with me like this, he said. Driscoll looked at him over the rim of his cup. He put the coffee down and said, She liked your old man, Vince. She still feels he saved her life by getting her off the bread lines, in spite of the fact that he almost got her killed. Besides, Jack said with a smile, I reminded her that if it wasn't for your dad, she never would have met me. How could she argue with that? They were in the captain's wardroom where they had eaten every morning and night for weeks. Vincent had wondered what kind of sailor he would be. Now he knew. Except for a touch of seasickness during a heavy blow, the answer had been a pretty good one. Still, he woke every morning to, not nausea exactly, butterflies. The feeling that something big was coming, headed right for him. How close are we? he asked Driscoll. Driscoll shrugged. Not far now. We're lucky. When I sailed with Inglehorn, sonar hadn't been invented. With a sweeping gesture, Driscoll added, This isn't what they call blue water sailing, Vince. This whole area is shallow. Bottom at no more than twenty fathoms anywhere. Reefs coming to within a fathom or so of the surface. Volcanic. Unpredictable currents. Shifting sands. Already we've learned that the old chart isn't a hundred percent accurate anymore. We have to take our time. Vincent nodded. What happened to Inglehorn? he asked. I tried to trace him, but... He vanished about the same time your old man did, Driscoll said. Him and his ship. He gave Vincent a long, appraising look. There was some talk that your dad went back to Skull Island. Went back and never returned. The squawk box overhead crackled to life. Mr. Driscoll, to the bridge. Come along, Driscoll said, reaching for his hat. It's probably land. It was land on the very edge of visibility. The water shaded from deep greenish-blue to a pale emerald, and in the center of the emerald patch was a gray-brown smudge, a shining patch of cloud above it. "'Good work,' Driscoll said, staring through the high-powered binoculars. "'Are we in the channel?' First mate Hansen, standing on the far side of Driscoll with folded arms and a dissatisfied frown, nodded. "'Not much of a channel, if you ask me.' The depths you gave me are way off. Driscoll winked at Vincent and handed him the binoculars. To be expected, he said, assuming no one's been there for nearly a quarter of a century, and the chart's at least that old. What do you think, Vince? Vincent was trembling with excitement. He struggled to hold the binoculars on target. Through them, he saw towering peaks, an etched white line of surf, no detail, not close enough for detail. How soon? he asked, not heeding Driscoll's question. Hard to say, Hanson replied. With these dog-leg turns, maybe three hours, if the channel hasn't shoaled up completely. Three slow hours, with the island growing every minute of them. Vincent and Driscoll stayed on the bridge, staring ahead. Vincent kept thinking, big, much bigger than I thought. But then... It would have to be if it harbored any respectable range of life. Once or twice the ship came to a dead stop, 
Balhansen swore, reversed engines, reversed them again, and jockeyed her through an almost impossible turn. Still they progressed. Vincent kept staring at the cliffs through the binoculars, recognizing them as eroded volcanic plugs. From the dark green tangle of jungle, wafts of steam suggested that the island was still volcanically active. Hot springs at the least. Lost in distant mists were hints of mountains but the peculiar geographical formation that gave the island's central mountain its name showed clearly. Eye sockets, empty nasal cavity, the skull of an earth giant. There's the lagoon, Driscoll said at last. We'll anchor there. Vincent lowered the binoculars.